Good morning. We are thankful for each one that's here with us this morning. Over the last several weeks, we're doing a, we finished last week our lessons at, on First Timothy, and so I wanted to take a, just a brief break before we went back and picked up in Second Timothy by looking at uh, something that's more topical in nature, coming from Psalm 107. Now, growing up, I did not have a cellar. We did not have a basement. But we had a large shed or garage outside. When I was young, my father uh, worked at least part of the time as a painter. He uh, would paint, I'm a bill painter, let me specify. Uh, he would actually paint the vans and trucks and things for UPS at a time when I was just a little kid. So that's really the reason why we had that shed. It had to be very tall, there large, tall vans at a time. He'd come in and pull in, and he would tape those up and paint those uh, vans for them. And during the daytime, it bothered me one bit to go down there and see what was going on and, and look at all the tools and things such as that. But like a typical little kid sometimes, when things get dark, <laughs> it changes things. And on one occasion, it was dark, and my father asked me to go down to the shop and to get something. It may have been a coffee cup or something, I don't what it was. And so I turned on the back porch light, and this is way before LEDs, and so I can tell you it lit up about five feet, and that was it. And so I had to walk down to the shop, and when you're young, everything seems bigger. It seemed like half a mile, well, it wasn't. It was probably 20 yards or something. But it seemed like a long way. So I walked down to the shop, and it was completely dark inside, obviously, so I turned on the, open, open the door, and I reached in and felt. I didn't walk in. I reached in and felt for the switch. And I flipped it on, and one singular bulb, and the sooner the large shed came on, so I walked in, I saw the cup, and as I was walking out here, the light goes out. Now there was absolutely nothing in there to worry about. But when it's dark and windy, and you're in a large shop that is in tin on the outside, it's made basically a tin. If you know premier with tin, it rattles with everything. And of course, when you're when you're small, when you're a little kid, and it's dark, and you're in there alone, and the wind is blowing, everything Sounds like something a lot worse. And so I, I may have walked in pretty laxed, you know, very lax and relaxed, uh, not worried about anything. But I tell you, I went out little by little until I got to that door. When I got to the door, I shut behind me and I ran to the, to the porch light and I stopped, caught my breath, walked inside like nothing happened. Now, why, does that, why don't we talk about that today? Because sin sometimes can be like that dark cellar that we don't like to go in, but we get trapped in sometimes. There's a place that can be very scary, but sometimes because of our life choices, we may not realize it, that's exactly where we are. We're in that dark place where the light is going out, and we're there because of the actions that we have become involved in. That's why we have the title of our lesson this morning, Climb Out of the Cellar, because... In order to overcome sin, you have to come out of darkness, don't you? And for many of us, that means coming out of a dark cellar or a dark shed of some, some type and be able to come back to the light where it is safety. We all are probably are familiar with, if you're, if you're driving late at night and you see a, a gas station that's well lit up, like a quick trip or something, and you see one that has one little porch light up front, which one are you stopping at? 
I want the one that you can see a mile away. That's the one I'm stopping at. Because light typically means safety of some sort, right? You can see everything around you. And you feel safe and secure. And light in the Bible is commonly used as a reference to righteousness and right living, right? As we talked about this morning there in 1 John, how we are to walk in the light. 1 John 1, verse 9, uh, 1 John chapter 1, and those verses surrounding verse 9 tell us about walking in the light as He is in the light. And darkness is commonly referred to or referenced as sin, as wickedness, in some contexts, even evil. So it's understandable why we want to stay in the light, both physically, but also spiritually as well. So as we get started this morning, I want to back up for just a moment and read again for just a moment those words that Brother uh, Ross read a moment ago from Psalm 107, beginning there in verse 10. Because I think it helps us paint the picture of what sin does to us. We look at verse 10 of Psalm 107. It says, Those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, bound in affliction and irons, because they have rebelled, because they rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. Why were they sitting in darkness and in the shadow of death? He says in verse 11, because they ignored the words of God. They ignored them. Now I want you to think for a moment, is the Bible today in the world, not among Christians obviously, but in the world today, is the Bible disregarded by a lot of people? Yeah. It's an outdated book. It doesn't apply to us today. In case you haven't noticed, mankind hasn't changed that much over the years, has it? we found different ways to commit, as that we say sometimes, different ways to commit the same old sins. Idolatry may not be the golden idol, but it may be sitting in our driveway. It may be sitting in our bank account. And so, even though the image may change, the idea is still the same. And we find here in verses 10 and 11, they were bound in affliction and irons, because they rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. Counsel implies the idea that God tried to bring them back and they wouldn't come back. Verse 12 says, Therefore He brought down their heart with labor. When God wants people to come back, as especially when we see it in the Old Testament, and they rebelled, God would use different ways to help them realize that, hey, you need to humble yourselves and come back to me because I am your only hope. Sometimes it was done through wars. Sometimes it was done, as we found here, uh, being referenced through hard labor. Therefore it brought down their heart with labor. They fell down and there was none to help. None to help the reference to not to God, but literally the idea that people around them could do nothing to change the position that they were in. Someone who is in sin... We can encourage them, we can talk to them, but can we literally grab them by the back of their head and pull them out? Now, we may want to, but we can't. There was none to help there in verse 12. He says, Then they cried out to the Lord, that is, those who were in darkness and in the shadow of death. They cried out to the Lord in, in their trouble and saved them out of their distresses. When he pulled them out of the scary, dark, shadow of death place. Being a reference to sin, right? He brought them out of darkness, again, sin, and the shadow of death, and broke their chains in pieces. 
Why were they in chains? Sin is often recognized as being, as Christ tells us, sin will enslave us, right? You're a slave to whom you obey. Remember those words? Whether to God through righteousness or slave to sin. Well, let's get to our first major point this morning. And think about how, if we are not careful, we can allow discontentment, disappointment, and sometimes addiction to various sins to place us in a very dark place in our life. Because I think we're honest, many of us at different times in our life, maybe for different periods, maybe different levels, have been down or depressed to some degree, or we have been unhappy with certain things. Maybe our jobs, I'm sure sometimes we all have times where we think, I wish I did something else. Or maybe we are not happy with what others are doing around us. Maybe our discontentment isn't from our jobs or isn't from money. Maybe it's because of others around us. But we must realize that we're talking about discontentment, disappointment, or addictions to various sins that bring us to a dark place in our life. Every dark place has a way out. Every dark place has a way out. Let's begin by looking at overcoming discontentment. That is being unhappy, being unsatisfied. Discontentment can be conquered through, cannot be conquered through worldly ways. If you go back and look at Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, you remember that who is writing here, this, he's referred to as the preacher. We know him as Solomon. He's commonly viewed to be Solomon here in verses 8 and 9. He says, All things are full of labor. Man cannot express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. I mean, you can never see or hear too much, right? The idea being that mankind is never satisfied. He says, verse 9, That which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. You know what Solomon just said? Things never change that much. That's why I say mankind is the same we've always been. Mankind has always suffered with the problem of selfishness. Mankind has always suffered the problem of materialism. Suffered with the problems of various different types of addictions and worries and concerns. And we find here in verse 9, that's what he's referencing as well, that there's nothing new in the sun. Whether it's talking about good things or bad things, things really haven't changed all that much in life. He says, all things are full of labor. Man cannot express it. Some search for a way out of discontentment through worldly means. We try to purchase happiness. We try to locate and live in happiness. You know, we look forward to vacations no matter where we're going. Sometimes maybe we might not go anywhere. Maybe we just stay put. You know, great vacations are great until about the next to the last day, right? Because the last day you have to go home. And so the day before you're thinking, tomorrow we have to go home. That's why we have to remember that no matter if we're talking about physical things or things or places where we get to experience and have different, uh, enjoy different activities, they all come to an end. Homes deteriorate, vehicles break down, and vacations don't last forever. Discontentment can also come from disappointment. Disappointment for various reasons. Various reasons. We may realize that we cannot allow disappointment, or we must realize that we cannot allow disappointment to keep us from being who we need to be for God and for our families. The thing about discontentment doesn't always result in disappointment. I'm disappointed because I'm not very happy by 
whatever it may be. I'm not very happy in my job. I'm not very happy with how things are going in our country and all these other things. We can list them on and on and on. But we have to overcome those things. Look at James chapter 1. Excuse me, not James. Brother Joshua chapter 1 and verse 9. He says, Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage, and not be afraid, nor be dismayed? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You may think, how does that apply to what we're talking about? We have to keep on being a faithful Christian every day, no matter what discontentment may come down the way. No matter how discouraged we have to be, we can't stop being a servant of God. Well, we can. But what would happen? We wouldn't be pleasing to God. You look here with Joshua here in verse, chapter 1, verse 9. He says, Have I not commanded you? This is the Lord speaking. I mean, I've already told you this once, right? Be strong and of good courage, and do not be afraid or dismayed. You might say discouraged. You might say overwhelmed. He's telling Joshua, look, it's not going to be easy, right? Don't be afraid. I mean, don't be scared of what's going to happen in the future. Don't be dismayed. Don't be overwhelmed. He says, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now, is God with us today? How does God encourage us today? Well, He encourages us every time we open up the Word of God and we read it and we pay attention. He encourages us. Someone happy to believe He encourages us in a more direct manner. The Bible doesn't tell us that God does that beyond the first century Christians there, the days of the apostles and things such as that. We know they were endowed with miraculous abilities. And we're able to pass those things on. But when they passed away, and when those that they passed those gifts on to passed away, that was the end of it. Because that no one could pass on those gifts except the apostles. So naturally it would come to an end. So how is God with us today? Through the written word. And he's told us that time and time again. Discontentment can be a very discouraging thing. It can lead us and push us into depression. But we have to realize that contentment and happiness and fulfillment is found in God. Happiness is not found by seeking, uh, seeking where some may look. We cannot find happiness outside of God. If you look at Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 6, he says, Better a handful of quietness than both hands full, together with toil and grasping for the wind. He's talking about how it's better to have little and be happy than to have a whole lot and have a house that just is at war the whole entire time. Now this is Solomon speaking. If we can't find happiness through physical things, where do you think he's going to lead us to? Well, we remember the words of Solomon right in the book at the end of Ecclesiastes, right? What does he say? Let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. What does Solomon tell us to look? To look to God. He tells us not to look to the world, but to look to God. Better a handful with quietness, that is a little. Quietness, there's the idea of peace. The absence of what I call the absence of drama, right? A restful place. A place of rest. A place of comfort. A place of encouragement. Better, is a, better a handful with quietness than both hands full, being obviously having a lot, together with toil and grasping for the wind. With toil be reference to just an upheaval, right? Unhappiness. Dissatisfaction. Discontentment, right? He says, and grasping for the wind. The idea that they're still grasping for more. Happiness is found in God and the simple things in life. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 3 this time, looking at verses 12 and 13. 
He says, I know that nothing is better than for them than to rejoice and to do good in their lives. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is a gift of God. Now, Solomon tells us in chapter 2 that he could have had anything he wanted. He could have had anything he wanted in life. He tells us about the numerous servants he had and the pools and the gardens and all those types of things. But we don't even get past chapter 3 before he says, I know that nothing is better for them than to rejoice and to do good in their lives. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is a good, it is a good gift of God. What is verse 13 talking about? Enjoy your life. Obviously, absence of sin there. But enjoy your life. Enjoy what, you, what you're able to accomplish in this life while keeping God first and while taking care of our own. Every man should enjoy the good of all his labor. Not enjoying the labor, perhaps, but enjoy what comes out of it. Enjoy what we are able to do with our families and with our friends and with our loved ones. Not focus upon worldly things. This doesn't mention anything about trying to live like the world. The phrase there, eat and drink, is that idea there, enjoying your what? What you have. It's not meant to be taken literal. Someone see drink and say, see, because I'm not getting drunk. That's not what he's talking about. He's about enjoying what you have, what you have in your possession, what you have in your home, what you have with your families. And enjoys the good of all his labor. It is a gift of God. Discontentment is a very real problem. If we're honest, one of the reasons why discontentment is such a problem is because the world around us is constantly trying to tell us what you should have to be happy, right? You watch television shows, and there are some of the worst examples you could possibly find. You watch movies, they're again some of the worst examples you could possibly find because if we're honest, they're not realistic. Are they? They're not realistic. Problems aren't solved in 30 minutes, don't you wish they were? They're not often solved in two hours either. Our problems we face are much more difficult. We don't get to have people walking around us when we're discouraged trying to play encouraging music to us in our ear, do we? No, we don't get to hear that. But that's how the world portrays it, right? The world, if we're honest, portrays things through a glass that is not true. It looks one way, but when you pull it back, we find it's not very happy at all. We look for happiness and contentment in God. Next, let's talk about overcoming the addictive power of sin. It could be we have actual addictions, and it could be we just have sin that we're constantly trying to overcome. We must realize that sin is addictive, because when you do it once, it's easy to do it again and again and again, no matter what you're talking about. It could be something we think to be minor. It could be something we think is grotesque. When you do it once, it's easier to do it again, right? Especially if you think you have gotten away with it. But we must remember when we think about sin being addictive, it's addictive because sin does enslave. John 8, 34 and 35. Jesus answered them and said, Most truly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. What is he talking about? That we can become a servant or a slave of sin. He says, and a slave does not abide in the house forever. What is that reference to? You don't get to stay with God forever. Because on the judgment day, there is, we know there's a great separation, right? We don't get to be with God forever. We have sin in our life, we have to repent of it. 
And when you fail to do so, we don't get to stay with God. He says next in verse 35, but a son, being a reference to the obedient son, right? Not the slave, but a son, he says, abides forever. If we want to have heaven as our home, we want to be the son. We want to be the daughter. We don't want to be the slave that is bound and shackled by sin. Sin only brings ungodly happiness. And sometimes we come in contact with people in the world. Maybe we see it also on television and movies and magazines and all those types of things. Who want you to believe they're happy. They, have, they put on that, that mask of contentment and happiness. What's interesting is sometimes you get to know some of those people better. You get to glimpse into their daily lives. It's not, I wouldn't want that lie. I don't care what they have or what they possess. I wouldn't want a burden they carry with them. They try to hide from everybody else. We want to be those who look for true and lasting happiness. We go back and we look at Acts chapter 8, or 4 rather, we look at Acts chapter 8, if you think about sin and how it encrafts us. In Acts 8, beginning in verse 22, he says, Repent therefore of this your wickedness, and pray, this is Peter talking about the uh, Simon the sorcerer there, he's talking to him. You remember he wanted to, to purchase the power to pass on the Holy Spirit. You look at verse 22, he says, Repent therefore of this your wickedness, and pray God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. And Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me that none of these things that you have spoken may come upon me. Peter saw that what? That he was entrapped by sin. Simon the sorcerer had previously tricked the people for a long time. Basically, is what the text says. Well, if he could purchase the power of the Holy Spirit and pass it on to others, he'd basically be back in the limelight, right? That's why Peter says to him there in verse 23, For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity, or bound by sin. That's what that means. He also tells him there in verse 22 that he had to repent of his wickedness and pray to God. That's how we climb out of sin, isn't it? It hasn't changed any at all. People try to dress up God's plan for man's salvation or try to dress up man coming back to God for, for forgiveness. But it's very simple and very plain. Repent and pray to God, right? Verse 22. The Christian can do this. The non-Christian cannot find forgiveness of sins by simply praying to God. The Christian can. The one who has already obeyed the gospel can do this. He says that, the, that your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness. Think about that word, poisoned by bitterness. What does poison do? It kills. That's what's the whole purpose of it, right? You buy the rat poison, you buy those different traps and things. Their, their, their main purpose is to either stop or to kill whatever it is. And he says here he is poisoned, that is, he's literally being, dying by bitterness and iniquity. And he tells him he needs to repent. And Simon asked him to pray for him on his behalf there in verse 24. The entrapment that comes, by, comes from sin can be overcome. And I have just a few thoughts, and these are in no way meant to be a complete list, but just simply some ideas for us to think about. We must first realize a change is necessary. We must first realize a change is necessary, and then we must repent. And we're not willing to recognize that we are in sin and then repent of that sin, 
Nothing changes. Repentance literally means you turn away from that and you turn back to God. But if we're not willing to, to, to acknowledge that a change needs to take place, the need to repent of those things, then nothing is going to happen. We want to avoid sin. Sometimes we just need to keep busy. Don't have enough time for sin. Keep yourself doing other things that you don't think about those sinful things that used to tempt you and entrap you and lure you away. Keep yourself busy. doesn't mean work all the time, but do what? You can keep yourself busy by doing things with your family, can't you? Sure, you can keep yourself busy with work. You can keep yourself busy with the family, with other activities. But we stay busy. It's the last time we spend thinking about other things that are not going to help us get to heaven. We can find new hobbies, ways to take your mind off other things. Again, when our mind is filled with things that are not sinful, you know, a hobby isn't sinful, may even depend on what we're doing, may even glorify God. But it keeps our mind away from sinful ideas and sinful temptations. We exercise. When it, it's actually been shown that when a person exercises that certain hormones and, and things kick in and causes your mood to increase and causes you to be in better mood afterwards. You may not be in better mood before or during, but afterwards it might help you. That's what a lot of people do today. That's why when you go to gyms sometimes, you see people who are trying to lose weight. You see people who are just, it will tell you, I'm just here to try to relax and blow off some stress. I've heard that before. That's not why I'm there, but that's part of it, isn't it? It can help you relax and clear your mind and calm down about things. We can find different ways to relax. Outdoor activities and, yes, vacations are a great way for us to take our mind off things. Now, again, that's not a complete list. You may have some things you may think of as well. No doubt, do it. It'll keep you away from sin. Add those things in there. And a third point today, which really to me goes along with overcoming discontentment, overcoming disappointment, overcoming addiction, and that is we must never give up. It is very important we never give up. If we look in the Bible, we find that God is not happy with those who quit. And we're talking about spiritual things. I'm not going to get on to you for quitting a sport or whatever it may be. But if you quit on God, you're not going to go to heaven. That's what the Bible teaches, right? To quit on God means that you're done, you're walking away, you're going back to what you've been doing before. You're done. You have just quit on God. Quitters never succeed. I'm going to sound a little bit like a coach here, but that's not the idea. But quitters never succeed. Quitters never make it onto the field, do they? They never make it to the bench. They don't go anywhere. If man wants to overcome discontentment, addiction, or anything in life, man cannot give up. Because when we give up, what happens? It all comes back. What's interesting sometimes is that when you give up on things you're trying to overcome, it comes back, and it comes back a whole lot worse. Someone who relapses sometimes can be a whole lot worse, and it's not much harder for them to come out of it. Whether you're talking about trying to overcome discontentment or overcome disappointment or any any type of of sin that has ensnared you. Again, there is no such thing as success for a quitter, unless you're talking about quitting sin. That's the only way. There's no success when we give up on God, when we quit God, when we quit trying, when we quit following His Word, when we quit studying. There's no success in that. How can we be successful when we give up? 
Quitters never make it to heaven. God does not approve giving up. He's not approve of people walking away. We find that numerous times in the Bible. Remember when God spoke to Moses and told him to go and to speak and to preach? And Moses made excuses after excuses. What was he trying to do? He's trying to quit and get out of that. Now, he wanted to follow God, but he wanted, didn't want to do that. Remember how God solved that little problem? He gave him a speaker, didn't he? Someone who would speak on his behalf. What's interesting, if you read through there, Moses... For a guy he didn't like, he was afraid of speaking, he spoke a whole lot, didn't he? I mean, he preached a lot of preaching. For a guy who said he was slow of tongue, well, you sure do preach a lot, Moses. You get to Deuteronomy, he does the same thing. I'm not so sure he really meant that he was slow of tongue. He may have just been flat out afraid. Man will not quit when we realize how important things are. When we realize what is at stake, we won't want to quit. If our families are at stake, we won't want to quit. When our spiritual condition, when our souls before God are at stake, we will not want to quit. We want to press on and keep moving forward. We cannot give up, or as we see in 2 Chronicles 15 and verse 7 says, Do not let your hands be weak, says, but you be strong, do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. We find the same idea in the New Testament, don't we? Do not grow weary while doing good, but you shall reap if you do not lose heart. Right? We find that same concept here. But, but you be strong, not your hands be weak. Don't give up. Don't stop. Keep moving forward as a faithful servant of God. He says, for your work shall be rewarded. Are we rewarded as a Christian if we remain faithful to God? Well, the obvious answer to that is yes. We are rewarded. We will have heaven as our home. We'll get to be with God, with Christ, and with all the faithful if we will not give up, if we will keep on pressing forward. That's why the Apostle Paul tells us to press forward to, to the, for the prize of every call of God in Christ Jesus, right? Keep pressing forward. Some lessons for us to think about today. Discontentment is not uncommon. I think sometimes when we get discouraged or when things happen in our life, we think, well, you know, I wish this wasn't happening to me, but sometimes you realize it happened to everybody, right? You think there was a time that some successful person was, was ever unhappy? Well, sure they are. You think about a man who'd been in the light bulb and how many times he failed. The woman he wrote, you know, various books before it took off. The author of Harry Potter was trying to be published, I forget how many times, and she was rejected numerous times before someone ever actually took the book and published it for her. As Christians today, we cannot give up either. Some of them may not hear our words to them with the gospel the first time, but they may the second or the third. Or maybe they, they may hear the friend that comes up after us. Discontentment is not uncommon. We cannot give up. Discontentment is a part of life. We must realize that in order to overcome discontentment, that is unhappiness, we must turn to God to find lasting contentment, to find lasting fulfillment. You know, when we think of fulfillment, sometimes, again, like I mentioned before, we, we look at physical things. But fulfillment isn't physical, is it? No, it's spiritual. And sometimes it may be a little bit emotional as well. We find fulfillment with our families, both physically and spiritually. Addictions of various types, while difficult, can be overcome. You know, there are so many groups out there today that are designed to help people overcome various addictions. I don't know them all. I can't speak for all of them and how they do their, their duties and things such as that. 
But I also know there are a lot of Christian brothers and sisters in Christ who would be willing to help you any way they can. Addictions of various types can be overcome. And we have to remember that addictions enslave the person, but it can be defeated. It can be overcome. Sin is overcome by knowing the price of sin and turning to God for forgiveness. And the same can be done with any type of addiction. And sin is an addiction, no matter what we're talking about. Sometimes we think addiction, we think, well, they're addicted to this, this, this. And sometimes we realize their addiction is just sin. They can't stop disobeying God. We have to help them coming back, help them show them the error of their ways. Because sin can be addicting. We can be addicted to this sin and this sin and this sin and never realize that we are addicted to those things. But we can't overcome them. No difficulty in life is overcome without God. I said before that any plan that does not include God is a plan that deserves to fail. When we're talking about overcoming hardship, it's the same way. We don't include God, it's not going to work. And it shouldn't work. We see individuals in the Bible who face great hardships and overcome them. You think about Job, but he faced hardships? Yeah. Did Moses face hardships? Yeah. Remember at one point, it's the same man to God. If this is how it's going to be, talking about Israel and how much they were complaining and whining, he literally said, just kill me. That was a hardship, wasn't it? Did any of those who were stuck in Egypt dealing with Pharaoh until they were brought out by God? Well, that was a lot of hardship. And so we can look throughout the Bible and find individuals who dealt with hardship at various times to various degrees, can't we? The Apostle Paul, for example, is another one did most of his writing from prison. Christ was persecuted from the day he was born, literally, right? They had to flee to Egypt. Persecution and hardships and difficulties are a part of life, but we can't overcome them all if we make sure that God is the one who we turn to. Because when we turn to God and His Word, then we can climb out of any dark place in life, because that's where sin takes us. And discontentment will take us to that same place. Disappointment will take us to that same place. Worry will take us to the same place. A poor set of priorities will take us to that same place. It will take us to that dark and scary place that only God can bring us out of. We close by going back to Psalm 107. And notice with me the last two verses, verses 13 and 14 there. It says, And they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And he saved them out of, out of their distresses. What did they do right, finally, in verse 13? They turned to God. They cried out to him, and they prayed to God. And what happened? He saved them out of their distresses. He saved them. If you remember, you back up looking at the end of verse 12. It says, they fell down, there was none to help until they finally turned to God in verse 13. They were able to climb out of that cellar of sin and selfishness and worry and idolatry and whatever else they were involved in. Then God brought them back. Verse 14 says, He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death, and He broke their chains in pieces. Sin enslaves us, and it can sometimes feel like a chain around our wrist or maybe even around our neck. But if we will turn back to God, repent of our sins, confess those things to Him, those sinful things can be done away with. 
and those bonds can be broken. This morning, as you think about these things, if we can help you or encourage you in any way, you can come forward now. Let's get we stand and sing the song that's been selected.